Greetings, today is June 1st, 2021. My name is Christopher Hoster and I'm the founder and executive director of Opus One Berks Chamber Choir. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the third episode of our podcast, Octavo. These podcasts will air on the first of each month and we'll discuss pertinent topics related to the world of choral music. We'll also highlight important events taking place throughout Berks County and we'll spotlight organizations and individual performers and teachers who are making a difference in our artistic community. Each podcast will have a main theme or focus and we'll feature a guest or two with knowledge and or experience in that particular area. Joining me today are my normal partners in crime, co-hosts Debbie Silas and Scott Tice. Welcome to you both. Hi, Chris. Hello. Last month's podcast was entitled Complex Legacies and our discussion centered around how ensembles and music organizations handle complex circumstances. Uh, we looked at how singers, ensembles, organizations deal with programming, celebrated works that also contain inherent anti-Semitism. We talked about allegations at the Metropolitan Opera surrounding James Levine. And we also uh, dove into the world of Benjamin Britten and his fascination with youth um, and his relationships, uh, unusual relationships with young boys. Today's podcast is entitled Music of America, not so coincidentally the title of our upcoming virtual concert, which will be accessible online uh, through Ticket Spice from June 4th through June 20th. Um, the repertoire includes pieces that span about five centuries worth of choral music. In designing the concert, we really wanted to um, showcase music from different time periods and different uh, areas of the country um, at the same time. So we have, we've divided it into different sections. The first section um, we've entitled Music of Indigenous Peoples and the Colonies. So for that first section, we do songs like Wendeyaho, which is a Cherokee morning song. Um, and it's sung by the women as part of morning prayers and welcoming the new day. So that's a, a, a three-part canon, and there's a flute player also that's playing for that. The next song is a spirit song by the Sioux. Um, and the Sioux, as you know, are uh, a large group of related tribes from the North American plain. Um, and there's also, there's a flute player for that one as well, as well as drums. The next section, Sounds of a New Nation. We have pieces that were performed during the American Revolution. The next section is Towards Freedom. We have entitled Towards Freedom. And that features, very interestingly, multiple uh, pieces 
from the slave songs of the United States. That's the first collection of African-American spirituals that was ever published um, in the United States. It was printed in 1867. And that's, so that's two years after the Civil War. The next section is Appalachia and the South, and we highlight music of the sacred harp tradition. And then the final section is called God and Country, and that includes a lot of patriotic tunes and religious tunes that we also associate with, with, with patriotic American music. So we have a lot going on in that concert, and it's a, it's a big melange of American music. So Chris, when you um, thought about designing this, uh, this concert and uh, it to be uh, about Americana, um, were you, did you have any issues with any songs that you chose that seemed insensitive to certain of uh, diverse groups in our country. Right. So, I mean, I did want to I did want to showcase music um, from the indigenous people. So, I, I really wanted to have that component as part of it. I also wanted to showcase music um, from the spiritual collection, um, and I thought those were very important. The first part of the concert also begins with selections from the Bay Psalm book which is the first printed book in uh, British North America. And that was in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1640. So that's 20 years after the pilgrims first landed. So we do have music trying to get this, this broad expanse of what American music really is. And yes, I did have to be careful because there is American music and quite frankly, it's a lot of American music with, with some pretty harsh and clear racist overtones. I did want to represent what American music has been and is, um, but I, I did also want to be sensitive um, in that regard as well. And so, yes, I had to be, had to be careful. Um, Scott, you're singing in the concert, correct? I am, yes. Okay. Um, so the music that you're singing is there much that you knew from before or is it basically a lot of things you never sang before? There were not a whole lot of pieces that I knew prior to getting the music. Um, there were some pieces that I had sung in other ensembles when I was in college um, and in other, other places, but none of them, most of them were new to me. Um, but once you listen to the recording or listen to whatever Christopher sent us, um, they were, they weren't, I don't want to say they were easy enough, but you could pick them up easy enough, if that makes, if that makes any sense. The one um, that I uh, didn't have that much difficulty with, because I loved 
taking sight reading when I was in college. I minored in music um, and I took several sight reading classes where you just basically opened up your book and you did not say the words that were on the page in English, you just basically did the fa, the laws, the dos, and so forth. So uh, we did do um, those two pieces in the beginning with, um, Christopher, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the soul fledge, correct? Yeah, soul fledge. Yes. Um, and that's just basically where you see the words that are supposed to be a part of the song, but we started off by just naming them as far as the do, the re's, the, and so forth and going on. Um, that took some time. I enjoyed doing that because I wasn't so much focused on the actual context of what the words were, but I was more focused on just one, the lyrical part of the music and also just hitting those notes rather than just gliding into them because oftentimes, depending on um, the way that you pronounce a certain word can change the overall sound of the, the sound that you were going to make out of, out of your mouth. And with singing by ourselves along to a recording, I found that to be quite challenging. I do believe if we were in person singing these pieces, um, it would have been a little bit easier to blend more, um, but I am, really anxious to see how not only these two pieces, but the other pieces that we put together, how they're all going to come um, come together for our concert. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, the pieces that Scott's talking about, um, there's two selections. Those are the two selections from the Sacred Harp tradition. And that's a really interesting um, part of choral history in, in the country. So Sacred Harp, for those of you who um, are, are don't know about this, um, it's a Protestant singing tradition that originated in New England and it later migrated over, you know, a hundred years. It migrated to the South and to Appalachia. Um, it's these, and it's associated with, with um, tune books that are printed in, in shape notes. Um, so the, instead of the actual note head, as we would recognize it today, you know, the round note head and, um, and uh, filled in or not filled in, they, they have additional shapes that are associated with these soulfish syllables that we that we would recognize today. The soulfish is, is basically um, the same, but in that traditional sacred harp style, there are no dynamics. It's all just loud. There's no text stress. You're not worrying about how to pronounce the words, like Scott said, or or um, the stress of the syllables of the of the text. It's just you know straight from start to finish. This is what it is. And when you sing the music, traditionally, you're supposed to be in a box formation, a square. And on each side of the square, that's where the different voice parts are, are aligned. So sopranos would be on one side, altos would be on another, tenors and basses would be on, on opposite sides. And then somebody would just be in the middle, keeping time with their hand. It's just a really interesting uh, sound. And since it moved to, to Appalachia, um, the South and, and towards Appalachia, um, it has that, that that really bright sound normally to it. So if you listen to uh, sacred harp singers, you'll always hear this, this nasally bright, uh, what we normally would consider a not a pleasant sound to listen to, but I think it's really interesting. And the pieces that we're doing, uh, one of them is David's Lamentation by William Billings. And William Billings, not to go on a further tangent here, but William Billings is really considered to be the first American choral composer, American-born choral composer. And he's part of the first New England school. So it sounds like the audience is going to be um, 
have a, a lot of different um, genres of music that they're going to be listening to. It's, I mean, because you think about music of America, you think about marches, you think about, you know, songs that you learned when you were in high school or in elementary school that everybody sang. And those are probably the ones that are not the best to sing right now. <laughs> but, um, but it sounds like, you know, it's going to be really an interesting mix of uh, different it's really great because we start, you know, we do do, we, we have those indigenous pieces um, that are just beautiful. They're gorgeous. They're in, we could, we would probably consider them simple today, but I just think they're beautiful and breathtaking. And um, for the traditional choral pieces that we would recognize with those base psalm books, the Psalters from New England, we start with music that was brought over from Europe and that, sacred harp tradition is something that grew right out of America, not brought from Europe. So we get this indigenous music, we get music that has been sort of transplanted to the continent, and then we also get this music that has been cultivated from those two sort of traditions combining. Um, and I, I think it's a really great mix of, of pieces. Scott, is there anything else you'd like to share about the concert? Nothing other than um, if everyone checks out our website on Chris, if you're going to, to plug the, the concert um, on our website will be a link for um, anyone who is out there who's listening to this podcast to go ahead and uh, listen to uh, the concert. All the instructions are there on how to download it and uh, go ahead and watch it. Christopher, at this point with all the recordings and stuff, um, do we have an approximation of, of how long this concert is going to be as far as um, minute wise or hour? It should be the standard hour, hour, to hour, something like that. Yeah. And yeah. the website is just a normal website, www.opus1chamberchoir.com slash events. So now we are very fortunate to have with us for the interview, the Chief Warrant Officer, Jeffrey Spenner, who serves as the Assistant Director of the United States Coast Guard Band. Jeffrey Spenner joined the United States Coast Guard Band in 2019. He helps manage all aspects of the 55 member ensemble. Uh, he's a veteran of the 399th Army Band at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Mr. Spinner is the first conductor of the, uh, the, in the U.S. Coast Guard Band's history to have been hired from the outside the organization. While a member of the 399th Army Band, he took part in hundreds of performances throughout the Midwest as both a conductor and trumpeter, and his efforts were instrumental in developing an ongoing relationship between the 399th Band and the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra. Previously, Jeff has been the assistant conductor and operations manager with Battle Creek Symphony in Michigan and artistic and education coordinator for the Lexington Philharmonic in Kentucky. He has his bachelor's of music from the University of Illinois where uh, we, went to, we went to school together. Yay, Fighting Illini. And he holds a master of music degree in orchestral conducting from Western Michigan University. 
In concert and select workshops, he's conducted such ensembles as Baltimore Symphony, Battle Creek Symphony, the Berlin Symphonietta, Cabrillo Festival Orchestra, Cincinnati Symphony, Fort Worth Symphony, Symphonia de Camera, and members of the Berlin Philharmonic and Philharmonia Orchestra of London. And I can't think of anyone better uh, on this podcast uh, that we're entitling uh, Music of America. I can't think of anybody better to have on than the assistant conductor of the Coast Guard Band. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Chief Warrant Officer and Assistant Director uh, of the U.S. Coast Guard Band, Jeffrey Spinner. Welcome. Oh, thank Jeff. you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us. No, um, it's, it's great. I, I was thrilled uh, to hear from you. I mean, uh, as you mentioned, we went to Illinois together and uh, we, we collaborated a little bit there. I was trying to remember what the last thing we would have uh, worked on was. I can't remember what we what we worked on last together. That was, it's so long ago, Jeffrey. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, there, there was gallantry. There, there was all sorts gallantry of Gallantry we worked on. I remember doing gallantry. Yes. Yep together that was that small that small like chamber opera i think right yeah and 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 i i i basically um talked myself into conducting for the pit because they were just going to do a piano for that and i'm just like no that's dumb uh, you, you uh, maestro diaz munoz well, if, if you uh if i can get an orchestra together would you let me do it oh yeah sure okay <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he thought there's no way there's no way in, in heck that he's going to get this orchestra together but somehow uh, people actually i think it turned out great actually. Oh, I, 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 I love it. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I was thrilled to, to to get your email. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've kind of kept tabs on you a little bit uh, uh, since since we parted ways at Illinois. And, and it's just so incredible what you're doing there in, in Reading and, you know, the, the, the work that you, you've done since then. And uh, to, to be asked to be one of your first guests on, on one of your latest big projects, uh, it, it was just, uh, it, it's a privilege and it's an honor. And uh, I'm just really happy to be here. Well, great. We're so happy to have you. The first thing that I want to ask you about and just pick your brain about is, uh, you know, we had, we, we're, we tried to get you uh, earlier in the week to do this interview and you couldn't. And there was a really great reason you couldn't, Jeff. So you should tell us what the reason was why you couldn't join us earlier. Because I saw you in the front page of the New so, York Times, <laughs> which I have right here. <laughs> well, I I actually wasn't there. So, you know- Oh, you weren't, of, oh no. <laughs> so, so one of the, the things about being the assistant director is um, I, there's a lot that I do behind the scenes and there, there's also a lot that I do, you know, on stage and whatnot. But um, when it comes to ceremonies of like that, my role is more um, in case the head guy can't do it, gets locked in a bathroom somewhere or, you know, gets food poisoning, then I'm the dude that they call. Uh, because, so I should back up and give context. So this past week was a bit crazy because we had the, um, I want to say the 140 something um, uh, commencement exercises at the United States Coast Guard Academy, which is the four-year uh, university that um, graduates the leaders of the Coast Guard, the officers, uh, uh, the women and men who serve our officer corps. Uh, so they go through four years as a college, they get a degree, and the um, commencement speaker and the, the person presiding over commencement this year was President Joe Biden. And so, you know, this, this whole past week was just awash with a lot of preparations. And I mean, we had Secret Service on base uh, already last month preparing and, and, and whatnot. And uh, so Wednesday and Thursday, uh, 
like I said, I was mostly on call so that it, the second that I get a call, I had my uniform in my car because uh, I we were locked out of our building. I wouldn't have been able to get into our building without like um, going against all sorts of security protocols and whatnot, uh, much above the secret level clearance that I hold myself. Um, and so I had my uniform in my car, I had my baton just in case, and and uh, ultimately nothing happened. So I, I got no to food poisoning that. then, right? No food, no poisoning. food poisoning. <laughs> uh, the, the bear trap I left didn't go off, you know, um, it, it, it was, uh, uh, it went off without a hitch. Um, and so the band's director, Com uh, Commander Adam Williamson, my boss, was able to handle those ceremonies. But yeah, it was a it was a bit of a weird week because it was a lot of hurry up and wait um, and uh, plan to do things that you probably won't be doing but need to be prepared to do just in case, which is kind of half the job anyway. That seems to be the, the job of, a, of an assistant conductor all the time. I think not just in the U.S. Coast Guard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's true. Uh, hi, Jeff. Um, I'm Debbie. Um, my question for you was, what was your background and what were the requirements you needed for this position? But since Chris said so much, if there's anything that you would like to add that he didn't add, could you share that with us? Yeah, thanks. And, and thanks again for, to Christopher for uh, uh, embarrassing me and pulling my bio and, and uh, talking about all the things that I, I sit back and then, oh, did I really do that? I guess I did. Um, but uh, so th as he mentioned, and as is mentioned in my bio, uh, I'm the, actually the first conductor of the Coast Guard band to be brought in from outside of the ensemble. So traditionally, the band is um, 90 some years old. We celebrate our 100th year anniversary in 2025. Um, traditionally, what has been done is that it's a military organization. So when the director leaves or the assistant director leaves, uh, it creates kind of this upward vacuum in the um, rank hierarchy structure of the organization. And so people from within the band would apply and be selected as um, either the assistant director or the director, whatever the open position was. And so this past time, uh, so it was, I guess, end of 2017 or maybe in 2018, when the um, assistant director retired, he retired after 20 some years of uh, service to the country. He started out as a baritone sax player, also another U of I grad, I found out. So uh, the, there is a, a strong University of Illinois tradition, I guess, uh, with the Coast Guard Band that- As there should be, Jeff, as there as, should be. As there should be, absolutely. Uh, in, in fact, fun side note, uh, for my audition for the band, uh, I was required, of course, to pick a march typically, you know, John Philip Sousa. So I picked the University of Illinois March by John Philip Sousa. So, uh, you know, I, I bleed orange and blue still, uh, you know, 15 years or so after uh, uh, graduating from U of I. Anyway, so background, yes. So um, in 2018, 2017, I, I forget exactly when the um, assistant director chose to retire, but he retired. And they um, decided that instead of simply promoting from within, they would look outside of the ensemble. And the, the reasons for this, um, at least what I'm told, because obviously I wasn't there at that point, was they, they wanted to bring in potentially new blood. They wanted to um, 
really elevate the position because also traditionally, so it would be a, a saxophone or a trumpet player or a percussionist or whomever would be promoted up and it, they wouldn't necessarily have conducting training. They would be trained on the job. So maybe, you know, the first time that they're standing in front of this world-class organization would be one of the first times they were actually standing on a podium, which has its issues and has, you know, its pros and cons, but uh, it's certainly a challenge. Um, and again, especially talking about an ensemble like this, because we have graduates of Juilliard, we have graduates of Rice University, Northwestern University, University of Illinois, University of Michigan, Michigan State. I mean, you name the top music program, we've got people in the band from this. They, um, these people easily go toe-to-toe -to -toe with their colleagues in Boston Symphony, New York Philharmonic, and frequently um, uh, guest and uh, uh, substitute with orchestras such as that. So they decided, okay, we're a world-class organization. Um, we should really hire our leaders and our conductors like that sort of organization. How they got stuck with me, I'm still not entirely certain, but um, they decided to open it up to an outside audition. So, so members of the band were still able to apply, but they also opened it up to other services. I was in the army at the time, but also civilians. And they selected, I think there were four finalists of which I was one. And then ultimately I was the one that they asked to be the assistant uh, director. And I mean, I, I will I will never forget that that day uh, where I was, you know, sitting at home and, and I got that call and it was just one of those moments where, you know, life is changing like th this is a life changing sort of thing because I was a trumpet player in the army, most mostly uh, doing a little bit of conducting, but I was um, mostly playing trumpet. And now I don't play trumpet at all. I'm completely a conductor. Um, I was going from you know conducting maybe one performance every year or so to my first year in the band, I conducted 33 performances. And so, I mean, it was just an absolutely life-changing experience and, um, uh, yeah, I'm just so I'm so thrilled to be in the position that I am because I get to work with some of the most phenomenal musicians I've ever worked with. It's the dream of any instrument, like a, a violinist, it's a dream to play on a Stradivarius violin. It's a dream of um, a, a trombonist to, you know, have a custom Shires trombone built for them. I feel like I have that sort of level of instrument at my disposal with the United States Coast Guard Band. Jeff, with uh, the six branches of military uh, that we have, excluding Space Force, um, I'm assuming that anytime we see any kind of band on TV for any kind of ceremonial um, thing happening, that that would be what would be called the premier band. Um, is that what you are mainly in charge of, or um, are there other bands besides a premier band that gets to um, play at different places and people can be a part of? So the way that I think about it, and I, I, I should preface this by, okay, there are the, the six branches. Each branch, except for Space Force, has their own dedicated music program. So the, the Marines have their premier band with the United States President's own Marine band, and then there are the, the fleet bands. So bands spread across America and the world that are Marine bands, but not that premier band. Um, the, the Army, of which I'm most familiar with other than the Coast Guard, has a couple what they call special bands. There's the premier band, which is Pershing Zone in Washington, D.C. They also have the West Point Academy. 
Academy Band, and they have uh, the United States Army Field Band, which is the touring ensemble. But then they also have 30 some other bands. Some of those are active duty, some of those are reserve. And so when you do watch something on TV, it really depends on where that thing is and what the level is. Um, the way that I uh, usually describe it is it's kind of like the orchestra system in America where you've got you know, your top tier orchestras, New York Philharmonic, Chicago Symphony, Boston Symphony, Philadelphia Orchestra. And then you have equal, you know, you have not lesser orchestras, but uh, more regional orchestras. You have the Pittsburgh Symphony, you have Kansas City Symphony, you have uh, uh, St. Louis Symphony. And these are still phenomenal musicians, probably the same level, but they are not necessarily responsible for the global musical world as the New York Philharmonic, but maybe more, more regional. And then you have organizations like I've worked with in the past, the Battle Creek Symphony, Lexington Philharmonic in Kentucky, that are the, the smaller regional orchestras that often feed into the larger orchestras. I mean, in Lexington, um, actually our principal trumpeter in the Coast Guard Band was a former trumpeter in Lexington Philharmonic. And uh, I, I don't think we ever had a, a principal trumpeter longer than a year in Lexington because they were constantly winning bigger jobs. Um, so it's just, it's a matter of geography in a way. And it's also a matter of like what what level exposure it is. So as an example, um, I think it's the, the Coca-Cola 600 or something. I'm not a NASCAR fan, so don't quote me on that. But over Memorial Day, there's some big race down in North Carolina. And we are actually flying our vocalists down to represent the Coast Guard because they're doing it as a Memorial Day salute to um, salute to the armed services. So for national level events like that, you will often see premier band musicians, but even say, in saying that for that, um, ex that, for that specific instance, they are also having uh, instrumentalists from some of the more regional like national guard bands and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So what's really incredible about all of this is that you get to see and hear and work with so many incredible people and, and musicians. I mean, I worked with people at the 399th Army Band in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, who could have easily been in one of these premier bands. Um, and either, you know, the ensemble didn't have an opening at the time because, you know, there isn't always a spot for people or they just wanted that part of life. Uh, it's, it, it's really kind of dealer's choice in um, how these musicians want, want to structure their lives in, in the military. So, you know, even at the 399th Army Band, which was an ensemble of 30 some, it wasn't a full wind ensemble, there were no double reeds, so couldn't really do Granger or anything like that. It was it was still working with phenomenal musicians. And now, I mean, I, I feel like I go to work with a silver spoon in my mouth because I have a fully formed, fully fledged, uh, fleshed out wind ensemble in front of me, stockpiled with some of the best musicians in the world. And I can put anything in front of them and they'll be able to play it. Just piggybacking on that, um, with looking at all the branches of the military. I think one of the misconceptions, and I think I had a misconception with that, and I've had many friends and I'm a teacher as well, and I've had many students who have gone into um, one of the branches in the music program. They go through the same 
boot camp, I would assume that everybody else says they're just not going there and just playing music all the time. They actually go through everything that everyone else goes through. It's just that it just so happens that they just have a side as music. Is that correct? Yes and no. Uh, again, it, 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 it's hard to throw these generalizations out because each branch, while there are more similarities than differences, there mm. are differences. So the Coast Guard Band is one of two bands, the other being the President's Own Marine Band, which does not require basic training, military mm. basic training. And the, the way we get away with that, or the, the reasoning behind that, is because um, when, when you boil it all down, basic training is the beginning of someone's military education. And so that is what um, all that education is built on. So if we'll, we'll take a typical example of, you know, an 18 year old decides to join the army, they're gonna join the army as an army cook. The army is going to teach them first how to army and second, how to cook. For our folks, they already know how to cook. They already know how to play their instrument and at a super high level. They come in at such a high level and degree of education, mm -hmm. literally degrees of education. You've got masters and doctorates. I mean, I'm in the minority in that I only have my masters um, with these folks. They come in at such a high level that we are able to waive that requirement. Now, again, we are one of only two bands of the hundreds of military bands that mm -hmm. America has that that um, that does not require that. When I joined the army, yeah, I went to army basic training. I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, which is the home of the infantry, which was a heck of a lot of fun, I can tell you that. Hmm. Um, but uh, if you are, uh, so if you're in the army, you go through army basic training. If you are the in the um, Navy, you go through their basic training at uh, Station Great Lakes in Chicago. If you are in the Air Force, they do things a little bit differently. You join the, so you go to basic, but you are also put, so they call, I had platoons in the army, they call their uh, groups, pods of people, flights. The Air Force has the band flight. So you will be going through basic training with other band people. Um, where I, going through army basic training, I was the only band dude there in a, a barrack of a hundred people. And I was doing the exact same thing that the future cooks were gonna be doing, future truck drivers were gonna be doing, future infantry were gonna be doing. Um, the Air Force, they still do all the military training, but they're actually, it's kind of cool. They are, they are their own band at basic training graduation. And at the same time, they learn what it means to march a ceremony. They learn what it means to, to have all the protocols with that, where I with the army graduated after basic training and then went on to more army training, but this time at the army school of music that was specifically for that thing. The Marines go, go about it yet again a different way, other than the President's Own, which I mentioned before, does not have basic training for their musicians. Uh, if you are just uh, in one of the fleet bands, however, you do go through not only basic training, but you go through um, infantry basic training. So you basically go through basic twice, and then you go to the Marine School of Music, also uh, on base at um, uh, Virginia Beach, where the Army School of Music is. So there, like I say, there are a lot of similarities, but there are differences enough where if you, you said you're a teacher and you have students who have gone in and maybe mm -hmm. are continue to be interested, it it's enough of differences to um, 
be sure to kind of steer people, okay, what is it that you want out of this? Um, and, and so like, I also say if I can make it through basic training, anyone can make it through basic training. But, you know, if that isn't for you, well, then really your only option is to get into one of these upper echelon president zone or Coast Guard band. And other, otherwise, it's, you know, what, excuse me, what are the differences between the branches? And that's not only with training, but with the, the culture of the branch and what sort of music are you playing and what sort of gigs are you gonna be getting? Cause Air Force is a little bit different from the Marines, which is a little bit different from the Army. There are enough differences to um, really make it worthwhile to uh, talk with people who are doing it and talk with people, not recruiters, but talk with uh, military musicians of the different branches to get a, a sense of what does it mean to serve your country as a musician in the Marines? Or what does it mean to serve as a musician in the Air Force, et cetera? Well, my next question was, was where does your band typically play and for what special occasions? And you already shared that with us. Um, what other types of occasions does the band play for? I mean, and how you said that you directed um, 33 performances last year. Is that what you said? Is yes. That, okay. Yep. So, how many performances in all did the band perform? So I, I don't have that stat in front oh, okay. of me, right. um, but um, it's, it, it's easily hundreds of performances that the band did. And I, I should qualify that in saying that I'm, I'm talking everything from sending a, so, a solo bugler out to perform taps at a graveside ceremony for an active duty funeral, all the way up to a, a full band event. So. My involvement is going to be typically with um, conducted chamber ensembles, full band ceremonies, things like that. So I personally conducted on 33 concerts my first year. And this past year was all wonky because of COVID, of course. But um, to give you another sense, uh, tomorrow we are starting our rehearsals for our, what I'm calling optimistically robust uh, summer season, where over the next three and a half months or so, I will be conducting 19 concerts which is uh, really thrilling and I'm, I'm super excited to kind of get back in the saddle for that. But uh, to your question, the band performs a lot of different things all the way from public full band concerts uh, here at our home in New London, Connecticut on board the United States Coast Guard Academy to full band concerts out in our communities. We play all around Connecticut and New England uh, doing little run out concerts to communities here and there. Um, to a national tour every year. Sometimes we go twice a year. Um, the last tour that we did, um, again, before COVID times was uh, throughout the upper Midwest. So I got to go back home to Michigan and uh, show off my shiny new band. And um, we actually ended up in uh, Chicago. So that was really cool. But um, so we, we tour around the country because we are the only musical representation, not only of the United States Coast Guard, but of the Department of Homeland Security. So what I mean by that is the Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy, they all have multiple bands. We are it for the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is very small. Um, the, the entire population of the Coast Guard is probably the entire population of the little town in Michigan that I grew up. So we are the one and only. So what that means logistically for us is we are doing a lot of the things, not only are we doing the premier band thing, so playing for the president, when the White House calls and says, hey, we want the Coast Guard band to do this thing, we're down there doing that. We also are doing the same um, 
sorts of things as the, the regional bands are doing. So the local outreach and stuff like that. On top of all that, we have our ceremonial aspect. So if there's a change of command, when the commandant of the Coast Guard switches over, um, we are there supporting that military ceremony. When there is a high level funeral, when a, a former commandant or an admiral passes away, we are, um, you know, we are there present for that. And so there's the ceremonial aspect. And then on top of all that, the band breaks down into small ensembles, brass quintets, woodwind quintets, woodwind trio, harp and flute duet, um, pretty much any sort of small chamber ensemble that you can possibly think of, and also goes out and performs missions, doing ceremonies, doing concerts, doing educational outreach. It's really an incredible smorgasbord of, uh, of music and opportunities that we do. And I think that's one of the really enticing parts of the job. And I think that's what really appeals to me too, because in any given week, I could be playing for the president. I could then turn around and be supervising a uh, jazz combo ensemble. I could then be doing a full band concert in another community and then coming home to uh, record our, our well, not CDs anymore because uh, we're not actually producing the CDs, but making our, our latest recording. And this is music all the way from uh, Gustav Holst and Granger and the real milestones and uh, uh, pillars of the wind band repertoire to, to jazz and and popular music and uh, folk and all these different different things and like I say it's just an incredible opportunity it's an incredible uh, responsibility because it's not only we're representing the Coast Guard Department of Homeland Security but even broader we are representing the nation we are representing the the diversity of the nation we are representing the um you know just the the, the sheer amount of of people and diversity that we have and make up the united states that we have to represent in our programming in our ensembles that we put out there in the world and it's just a really, really incredible experience and a really uh, incredible honor to have. Well, that's just wonderful. And you know what? You actually answered my next question anyway, too. So I was going to ask you about programming. So I was just, I was trying to um, think like our next concert coming up is called Music of America. That's what we've entitled the next concert. And it's sort of this melange of, you know, five centuries worth of American music, not just in the in the in the british colony kind of thought <laughs> patterns of america you know we do we do have um some indigenous uh repertoire that we're are focusing on too and we're also singing some slave songs from the first book of african-american spirituals and so I, my question was about the repertoire selection but um you know who who does decide that is it is it you know, you and the, the other assistant directors that say, hey, this is the music we're going to perform for this event. How much of that is, you know, if you are just sending like one bugler down, I mean, how much of that are, is sort of is managed? So, I mean, we are a military ensemble. So I guess I'll say, you know, the buck kind of stops uh, at the top. So it, it's it's me and my boss, the, the director of the band that have ultimately overall responsibility for um, what goes out there, what, what we program, what our ensembles program. And, you know, we've made mistakes and, and we've 
played things and we go, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that again, or, or maybe that wasn't the best idea. Um, and we're, we're constantly learning too, but ultimately it's our decisions. I mean, I like to think that we have a, a pretty open and inclusive mindset to what it is that we actually perform and also open and inclusive to others' ideas. I mean, I'm always happy and I know my uh, commander is always happy when a musician approaches either or both of us and says, you know, I heard this great piece or I've, I've always loved this piece. I want to do this piece. And, and uh, you, you know, uh, nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll, I'll say that, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll program it. We'll, we'll do that. Um, but we, we also, I think, have that responsibility to, when you look at what we're programming, it is representative of the, the Coast Guard as a service, and it's representative of our nation as a whole. So, for example, the, the program that, um, or my part of the program, at least, that I'll, I will be rehearsing starting tomorrow is a British march, the Vanished Army with Kenneth Alford. It is a um, piece called Elegy for a Young American by Lopresti. It was written in 1964 as a um, reaction to the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And then there is a, a piece that is criminally underperformed, in my opinion. It's the Folk Suite by William Grant Still, who is a phenomenal African-American composer and is just not, not performed as much as he nearly should be. And, you know, you talk about spirituals. I mean, it, this thing is just chock full of that life experience. And it's something that is not typically represented, um, at least to the level I think that it should be, in the wind ensemble or certainly in, in the music field as a whole. So, I mean, these are the things that we, we constantly think about. And I was listening a little bit to your last podcast um, and, you know, talking about programming and, and, and things like that. And these are questions that we wrestle with all the time as well. And, you know, my personal philosophy is that for every piece that I do program, there are literally dozens of pieces that could have fit the exact same bill. So it's my role and it's my responsibility and it's the, the onus and uh, weight of responsibility is kind of on me to curate that like a museum curator might of, okay, what is best representative of what we are going for here? And, you know, like I say, I strike out sometimes, uh, probably more often than, than I even think about or know, but it's a constant learning experience and re revamping. And I mean, to give you an example, we looked around this past year, um, you know, as we're sitting with COVID and trying to figure out what we're doing. And one of the things we decided to do was uh, revitalize our music library. We have over 2000 pieces of full band music um, in our collection. Of those over 2000 pieces, we discovered that fewer than a dozen were by women. And that's just absurd. That is just, that that should not have happened. So we spent a lot of money and we spent a lot of time going in researching and finding other pieces. And I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I wish I did to tell you that, you know, we went from like whatever, 3% of the, uh, the library is women to whatever. I don't have those stats, but we, we are making more and more conscious efforts to make our programming look like what the service looks like, look, what our, look like what our, our country looks like. And so, yes, back to your question, Christopher, like who, who ultimately decides ultimately, well, ultimately it's my boss, the, the commander. He, he, if something goes wrong, 
his head is on the chopping block. His, his, he is the one who is answerable to anything that happens with the band, whether or not he was directly at fault or involved or, or whatever. Uh, and kind of by proxy, I'm, I'm, I'm the next person going to be, you know, uh, um, dragged in front of the Admiral going, why did you do this? Um, with that also said, I am in, so, uh, again, I'm, I, I feel like I have a silver spoon in my mouth because um, he gives me so much latitude in my programming. My programs are truly my programs. He's not saying, uh, uh, Chief Warrant Officer Spenner, you are hereby ordered to do this piece, this piece, this piece, this piece. No, it, when if it's my concert, it's my concert. And, and we split full band concerts typically, um, you know, maybe 60-40 or maybe even like 55-45 where uh, he has his concerts, I have my concerts. And then in the summer, uh, or if we're doing run out concerts, typically that same sort of like 60-40 split will be in one concert. So for every six pieces he conducts, I conduct four. And then I serve as the master of ceremonies and I'm, I'm fully involved with the rest of it as, as well. But um, even in those times, so the, the three pieces that I mentioned to you um, just a moment ago that I'm going to be doing um, this week and uh, starting out this summer, those were from a list that I gave him and said, sir, these are my, this is my wish list of what I would like to conduct. And then he goes and he takes that and he compares it with his similar list and goes, okay, well, what are we trying to, to program? And I mean, just, just as you or I do for a normal concert, okay, we've got Memorial Day coming up. So this is going to be a Memorial Day theme. So we're going to do this and this and this. And it's just, then at that point, it's just plug and play of, okay, um, I want to evoke this emotion here. So we're going to do that and this and that and other thing. And again, with always in the back of our mind going, okay, for every piece that we're picking, there are literally dozens of other pieces that we could be picking. So we have to have a really good reason why we're picking this, especially at the expense of not doing these other ones. So it's a jigsaw puzzle, but it's it's a fun one. And again, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have the group that I can put literally anything in front of them and they can play it and play it well. And also to have the freedom with which to to program um, the the way that I I see best and the way that we see best as an organization to uh, really fulfill our mission of service to the Coast Guard, to the Department of Homeland Security, and to the nation. Well, that's great. Jeff, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, it's just, it's so fantastic to have you on, on the program and you have, you're a wealth of knowledge about the US Coast Guard. And I, I learned a lot just, you know, in these last, you know, half hour, I just learned so much about the, uh, the whole system and it's very interesting and we're just thankful to have you with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, you can definitely tell by the way you talk about your job that you love it. That's right. And thank you for sharing all of that information. It was so interesting.
Now we turn to music in the news. This is a segment in which we will highlight music events, other local arts organizations, and address particularly interesting topics that relate to the arts. Debbie, what are the upcoming events in our area? Well, thanks, Scott. Um, coming up in the month of June, um, we're going to start with Burke Sinfonietta on Saturday, June 12th. Um, they are doing music in the mountain and it will be a live performance at Hawk Mountain Sanctuary Amphitheater. Um, for information and tickets, go to burksinfietta.org and you can get information, more information there about that performance. Um, on the same day, uh, June 12th, a program called Movie Music will be live streamed or a limited audience at the First United Methodist Church in Lancaster by Allegro Orchestra in Lancaster. Um, the information for that would be at allegrolancaster.org. Reading Civic Theater will be coming back for live performances on June 4th, 5th, and 6th with a performance of Godspell. Godspell will be held at Alice's Lutheran Church on Kutztown Road. And information for tickets are at, you can find it at readingcivic.org. Also, if you are interested in joining us at Opus One, we are having open auditions and um, you can go to our website, Opus One Chamber Choir slash ensemble and you can find more information out about opus one and we're having an early bird special if you join before june 12th there will be a discount so for now that's all that's happening in the berks county area i am sure over the summer with things opening up a bit more there will be more things happening that we will share that information with you bye for now At the conclusion of each episode of Octavo, we'd like to recognize someone in the local community who is fulfilling Opus One's creed. Together, we can make Reading sing in a special segment we call, Who is Making Reading Sing? Because this episode focuses on American music, we wanted to feature a local ensemble with a long, with a long history of performing American music in their concerts, the Ringgold Band. Today, we are joined by Chuck Ebersol, the director of the Ringgold Band, Greetings, Chuck, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. So, Chuck, I'm going to start with a question. Um, please tell us a little bit about your organization, its beginnings, and its mission. Okay. The uh, Ringgold Band is uh, 
oh, almost 170 years old. In fact, we're, it had its start in 1852, and we're, I believe we're the third oldest continuously running band in the United States. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a great um, organization with a lot of history. The, the, we get our title from Sam, General Samuel Ringgold of the Spanish-American War. He had a, um, a special style of fighting called the Light Artillery. And so he formed the Light Artillery Brigade here in Reading. And so the, the first name for the Ringgold Band was actually the Ringgold Light Artillery Band. Um, a couple of years later, it just got shortened to the Ringgold Band. But one of the interesting things is the Ringgold Light Artillery was the, the first regiment in Pennsylvania to answer President Lincoln's call to arms in the Civil War. So they marched to Washington and the Ringgold Band accompanied them uh, from Brooks County, which is a, it's a, it's a neat it's a neat part of our heritage. But it goes on that I am um, the 10th director, I believe it's 10, um, and uh, I follow the director with the longest tenure in the in the history, that was Jim Seidel, uh, and he retired in 2018, and that's when that's when I took over. But it's just a it's a, another part of our history is we were the last band conducted by John Philip Sousa. Uh, Sousa was the guest conductor in uh, oh my I should know this 35 or 30, 1936. He was the guest conductor, and uh, he did the concert with Ringgold in the afternoon on a Saturday afternoon had a meal at the Wyoming Missing Club restaurant and then spent the night at the Abraham Lincoln Hotel and unfortunately passed away during the night. Uh, so it, uh, it's, we have that distinction. Um, sort of uh, one of the things we do now is play the Stars and Stripes forever at the end of every concert. Of course, we do many marches, but uh, Stars and Stripes is a tradition. And uh, that's our, our mission is to, to continue to bring great concert band music to Berks County. Um, not just the historic stuff, not just marches and 19th century overtures, but we do modern works for concert band and uh, a lot of, lot of different, a lot of different things. Very good. Chuck, uh, this past year, obviously with the pandemic has been difficult for everyone, um, causing everyone to think outside of the box and be creative in how they can continue with uh, whatever they're doing in their own life. How has the Ringgold Band coped with this pandemic and what is the future for the band moving forward? Well, I'll answer, I'll answer about the pandemic mm -hmm. first. We, um, we rehearsed up until, I guess the second week of March in 2020. Mm -hmm. And then like everybody else, we, we shut down. Mm -hmm. um, so our, our final public performance was in December of, of 20, uh, 2019. And so, you know, we just sort of hung in there and, and, and I, I would occasionally send out listening assignments to the band and, you know, say, hey, listen to the you know, YouTube links and so forth and ask them to listen. Toward the end of the pandemic, I sent out PDF files of music so that the band could start to practice again. But one of the things we did to keep going were, was we did two virtual recordings. In the, um, in the summer, uh, we had asked the band to record themselves playing Seuss's King Cotton March. And, uh, and then we fortunately have a recording engineer who's, uh, who's very good at that. And so he taught me a little bit so I could help him, but uh, he, he basically put it all together, which is, is a mammoth task, actually. It's, it's, um, 
it's amazing. You know, one of the beautiful things about music is, you know, we sit next to each other and sing or play and our, our minds work so quickly. We don't realize, you know, when, when, when I'm not playing exactly with the flute or the trumpet player next to me, I automatically make adjustments, you know, and you follow the conductor and the whole ensemble sticks together. Well, when you're doing a virtual recording, um, you're playing along with a quick, quick click track or, we use the Marine Band uh, in our in our earphones to play along with, and it's amazing how how different the different parts were when they sent in the recordings. And so we had to line them all up and adjust the dynamics and 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 so forth. So it was a task. But we did we did King Cotton, and then at Christmas we did um, uh, a piece called English Christmas, and put together a bunch of Christmas recordings along with the virtual recording on YouTube. Uh, and then maybe one of the things that we're really kind of proud of Carrie Schultz of the Reading Music Foundation uh, mentioned to me one day, she said they, a lot of the older people in Reading might not be comfortable um, going online to hear the music of the band. She said, why don't you put together a CD? And so we went back through the recordings of the last 25 years and put together a two CD set, which we called the Ringgold Collection. And, and just, um, it was really fun to find you know, some of the best recordings that we had in the last 25 years and put that together. And then we gave it to a lot of the um, senior centers and, and so forth throughout throughout Berks County. Um, and so now they'll be on sale at our concerts. But uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a fun, it was quite a project. But that, those are a couple of things we did to, to keep things going. Nice, very nice. That was a really good idea. I mean, because, you know, it is true. I mean, you know, um, our older people don't have the technology that these younger people have and I mean I still have a CD person but I mean we're doing, uh, a, we're doing a show coming up soon and they don't even I mean kids don't have CD players I mean they they don't have them anymore right. um, okay so um, my next question is now that you talked about what you've done this year uh, could you share with us um, about the summer and fall and next season and what it looks like for the Ringgold Band? Absolutely. We, we, I'm very, I'm thrilled to announce we have our first live performance on Sunday. Oh, first time in 17 months that we're together playing. Uh, it's at Hamburg. Um, the uh, borough of Hamburg contacted us and wanted us to do something patriotic for Memorial Day. And so we're playing at Etchburg Park, Etchburger Park there, um, Hamburg Community Park. They have a band show. And so that'll be Sunday at four o'clock. Um, we rehearsed the last two weeks for the first time at um, uh, the Liederkranz up on the up on the mountain uh, in one of their pavilions. Although everybody in the band is is vaccinated, so we'll probably be able to move inside before too long. Is what we're hearing from the CDC. Um, but we're just uh, we basically have pretty much a full summer of work. We haven't lost any of our jobs that we had scheduled for 2020. And so we have Etchburger Park. We're playing uh, a Fourth of July thing in Brickerville for their for the United Method United Lutheran Church there that we do each year. Um, locally, we play at the Stone House at the end of July, and at uh, Fleetwood Park, um, at Hill Church, and at the Old Fair. So it's a lot of it's a it's a pretty full summer. So we're we're anxious, eager to to get out get out in public again. It's it's exciting to know that feeling that we are getting back to some semblance of, of normalcy and um, that 
people can go and experience live music. Yes. Um, With all of the venues that you mentioned, Chuck, uh, is there somewhere, um, I'm sure online, there's somewhere that they could find um, a detailed list and schedule of your performances and how someone could possibly, if they wanted to get more involved with Rain Gold Band. Yes, that's all That's all on our website. Um, so yeah, I'll give you two answers there. It's ringoldband.com, uh, simple to remember, all one word. And um, and there they can find, they'll find a list of the, a list of the concerts and performances, but also a, a link that if someone is interested in joining us, uh, they can, email or, or click on the link and then we'll get information out to them and, and get them involved. Many people in the last couple of years have, have gotten involved that way. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, I was just speaking with um, my father. He lives up north um, and I was speaking with him. He's like, so he said, tell me a little bit about, you know, what's, what are you doing? And I said, well, I have a podcast. And as soon as I mentioned Ringo Band and now I have never knew, knew this, he's like, oh, I played in Ringo Band. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, when did you play in the Ringgold Band? He's like, oh, I was eighth grade clarinet and a couple, he went to Wilson High School locally here in West Lawn. Uh, yeah. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, uh, he said, I played clarinet. And then he named two or three other people. And I said, what year was that? He's like, well, he's like, and then he had to think about it. He said, 1958, he believes that's when it was because he started playing football in 1959. And that's when he had to give up the clarinet because he couldn't okay. be part of the music program and the football program. So um, I said, I never knew that you did that. And we do have other um, members uh, throughout the years, especially with Opus, um, a couple of members that have been in it. And I know um, when I was in high school, a couple of the band kids that I was friends with also played maybe a season or two um, right. with it. So there's a long standing tradition that just continues to um, just evolve over time. And the fact that it's still the, the test of time, especially in these trying times, it's just a testament to um, the group and, and what it has to offer, not only Berks County, but also beyond. It makes me think of our, our membership. One, one of our strong points, I think, in the band is our, our board of directors. Mm. Uh, the band, of course, we have music teachers and some you know, professional musicians, but by and large, it's, it's engineers and, and business people and bankers and teachers and, and so forth. And, and they, they love music and they, mm -hmm. they have this passion that they've developed. And um, it's just a really great group of all different kinds of people. And it's all because of the love of music that they're together. In. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Um, I taught for many years with Jim Seidel and, oh, he, and he was the band director for both of my, like in the marching band for both of my sons. So um, I taught his children. I mean, so it's kind of, you know, we go back a long way. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you have many young uh, people in your, in the Ringgold band? We have this summer, there's uh, five or six college students that are coming back just to keep their, their chops in, in shape over the summer. And mm -hmm. there's a number of other younger people. Um, there's, uh, but we have one eighth grader or ninth grader oh, wow. that's joined us in the clarinet section. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty good mixture. I mean, we do have some older members, one man that actually played, has been playing since the early 1950s. So he would have played wow. with your dad, Scott. Okay. One of the premier bass drums in, in the nation. He, um, That's awesome. Yeah, they back in the days before everybody wanted to play the drums, um, they didn't have as many percussionists in the band. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. they had this 
one person played both bass drum and cymbals. They had a cymbal mounted on top of the okay. bass drum. And so you play the, the bass with your right hand and the cymbal with your left. Uh, <laughs> and Brian, yeah. his name is Brian Holt. He's excellent. We mentioned uh, earlier where people can find information about uh, your upcoming concerts and so forth. I assume that if somebody who's listening to this podcast is interested in becoming a part of the Ringgold Band, I'm sure there is a process that they would need to contact you and, and set up some type of an audition and stuff. Um, do you hold open auditions or is it more or less when a member leaves a certain section, that's when you need to fill a seat? Uh, really neither. Um, okay. if, if someone wants to join us, um, they, they come out and anybody is welcome to play in the rehearsals. Okay. Um, now, if they want to become a member of the band, um, then the section leaders talk about that. Okay. Uh, but uh, so not everybody is granted membership. Like sure, that. sure. Um, but but they're able to. They're welcome to come out and to rehearsals and even some concerts if we need. You know, if we need people in, in different okay. spots. Absolutely. Thank you again for uh, sitting down with us uh, today and for doing this interview. We really do appreciate it and everything that your organization has to give. Not only, like I said, the Berks County area, but also beyond. So thank you again. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a wonderful summer of performances. Yes. Thanks so much. And you too. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and that you join us next month for Opus One Octavo. And remember, together we can make Reading sing. For more information about Opus One, visit our website, www.opus1chamberchoir.com. <laughs>